0: Turn to John chapter 4, if you would, please. We've got seats over here in the middle, guys, if you want those. Just a reminder that Gary Yates, October the 27th, you don't want to miss it. Uh, Most of you have signed up. Well done. Some of you said, I can't make it. And I understand we are busy people, too busy, but that's another lecture sermon for another day. But October the 27th, we'd love to have you. Uh, It's open to anyone. So it's a chance some of you said, hey, I'm my wife has always asked, what do you guys do? Well, here's a chance. Uh, Or you have some friends. He's going to be addressing, as you know, the Old Testament God versus the New Testament God. And uh, Gary is very eloquent. He's humble. He knows the word. And I'm just excited that we can have him come and and deliver a dress and filled questions as well. So come with questions. Uh, He's not afraid to address the difficult ones. So, be ready, Uh, but it's October the 27th. I think we've got about 150 who've signed up, so there's still some room. Love to have you for that event. Well, no, no, it's for everybody. I'm glad you're listening, Tom. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Tom was on the board. Um, No, John chapter 4, if you would turn there this morning. You know, I'm just so thankful for the guys, Gail Stoller, as you know, and Mitch DePoy. These are the, the men that are on the board. They pray for you uh, even during the week. There's texts flying, you know, hey, pray for this, pray for that. And um, uh, they're serving you, trust me. Well, John chapter 4, we've been walking through this book slowly, and today we're going to take a little bit bigger chunk. And so forgive me for that, but I do promise we'll be done, Lord willing, 10 till. All right? So John chapter 4, you've got a few verses here at the beginning that kind of serves as a springboard into what we're going to see in Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. It's one of my favorite texts. So uh, just bear with me today. John chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees, there they are, that's the religious rulers... You know, Jesus has the strongest warnings or admonition is to the Pharisees. And yet, theologically, they're the closest on many, many fronts. And it says the Pharisees heard, and if you're hearing, dun, 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 that's what you should be hearing, right? Because when we get to five, they want to kill him. And it was, it was uh, Jesus was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing. John, our omniscient author, is giving us another parenthetical statement. Jesus left Judea and set out once for more for Galilee. It, it's as if Jesus avoiding a confrontation with the religious rulers at this point. We'll get to you in a minute. And then it says, it was necessary. That phrase is loaded in John's gospel. In other words, it's God's plan. Every time it's used, it's speaking of God's sovereignty. And what is it, God's sovereignty? To pass through Samaria. Now, this may not sound much to us, to ears living in 2017 in the United States, but if you were a Jew living in Palestine in the first century and you heard that, you're going, What? Jews don't pass through Samaria. Geographically, it's the most logical route. But ethnically, you don't do it, and we'll talk about the hatred of the Samaritans in a minute. He came to a Samaritan town called Sichar, near the Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Uh, this is Shechem. This is novelist today. It's a very you, you don't take tourists <laughs> to this region. Uh, I have been on Mount Gerizim. I've looked over into that area. Uh, it's a little problematic. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. Don't miss it. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Give me some water to drink.' For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy supplies. The Samaritan woman said to him, "'How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink?' For Jews. And then John gives us another parenthetical statement. Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. By the way, that lets us know our audience, doesn't it? If, an, if the readers, they, they can't be from Palestine. Anyone living in Israel today, the Palestine region at that time frame would know that a Jew and a Samaritan don't mix. All right. This is like the KKK and the Black Panthers coming together. It doesn't happen. All right? It just gives you the idea. The hatred is that deep. Jesus answered, If you had known the gift of God who is who uh, said to you, Give me some water to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said to him, You have no bucket. The well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? She's expecting, No, I'm not, is the response she's expecting. In the Greek, it's clear. And... That's the problem. He is greater than Jacob. For he gave us this well and drank from it himself along with his sons, his livestock. Jesus replied, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. But the water that I will give will become in him like a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. And now the woman says, sir, give me this water. Jesus asked her for water. It's her that needs to be asking for water. Don't miss it. So that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And he said to her, go call your husband (laughs) and come back here. The woman replied, I have no husband. Oh, you are clever. Jesus said to her, right, you are. You have no husband for you've had five husbands and the man you're living with is not your husband. Right? This you said truthfully. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Good job over here, but there's an avalanche that's coming over here. The woman said to him, uh, how about those colts? Sir, I see that you have the office or a prophetic gift. <laughs> uh, this isn't the prophet. Uh, the Greek's clear. She's, she's saying you have the gift of prophecy. Uh, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you people say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? What's her, what's her little theological discussion here? It's where she's missed who. Did you catch this? She's missed the who and she's missed the how. Jesus is going to help her out. Watch this. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such people to be His worshipers. Don't miss that. We don't seek the Lord. He seeks us. God is spirit and the people who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. Whenever He comes, He will tell us everything. Everything. He just did. You've had five husbands, and now you're living with one you shouldn't. Jesus said to her, "I, the one speaking to you, am He." This text is loaded. Let me back up and and first give you a little map here for those who love geography. Uh, We are. This is modern, or not modern? Well, it's modern Israel but were in Samaria at the time. Literally, Jews would go way out of their way, cross the Jordan River, go up modern Jordan today, and then cross back over to get up into Galilee for those pilgrimages that they would make to Jerusalem, rather than going the direct route through Samaria. And as we look at this text, and this is Jacob's well today, my colleague has drank water from it, but I promised my wife I wouldn't go to this town <laughs> uh, with two little kids, but uh, my colleague's crazy. Uh, there are three, th- three things that I want you to see that the barriers, we, we, we kind of miss this as we look at this text, but number one, uh, there's a moral barrier. This woman is really, I would argue, a woman of ill repute. To have five husbands and then being living with a man, uh, this isn't 2017. <laughs> this would have been highly inappropriate. And you were not, Jews, I've given you several texts there in your notes. A Jew was not to associate, a good upright Jewish male was not to associate with such women. That was forbidden, right? Uh, and, and I think further evidence of this, she's drawing water when? What, when is this? noon. It's the middle of the day. You draw water in the morning or at night when it's cooler. You don't do it in the middle of the day. And I would argue the reason she's doing that is she is a bit of a social outcast. The women don't want to hang out with her. You know, keep the children away. You can just see it. You know, this woman is not someone we want to hang out with. So there's a moral barrier. There's also a gender issue. We miss this as well in the text, I think, sometimes. But uh, a sage, a, a teacher, was not to be seen with a woman in public, period. In fact, I, I, I quote Keener, uh, who's done quite a bit of background work on this, and it's in your notes. He said that sage or a, a teacher worried about s- sending the wrong message to onlookers. If one talked with even one sister or wife in public, someone who did not know that woman was a relative might get the wrong impression, so mm-mm. He, he, Jesus is breaking a, a, a moral barrier by talking to her. He, he's also breaking it because she's a woman. In fact, notice the disciples' response. We haven't read it yet, but look what happens in verse 27. Now, at that very moment, his disciples came back, they were shocked because he was speaking with the Samaritan. No, no, no. Text doesn't say that. What's it say? He's talking with a woman what are you doing? We've hooked our wagon to your ministry, Jesus, and you're about to destroy it by talking to this woman. Careful. You know, they're saying, you you can't do this. But the greatest barrier, I would argue, is an ethnic barrier. She's a Samaritan. Now, who are they? Well, I'm going to give you a quick history lesson, but there's a huge paragraph you can read in your notes. Most of you know, the Samaritans, uh, these, these were half-breeds. In 722, during the Assyrian deportation, remember, Assyria comes in, they take Israel, northern uh, country, they don't take Judah, but they take Israel, they, they, uh, they leave a remnant of Jews behind, the feeble, etc. Later, the Babylonians come in, and they move other people groups, they, they relocate people groups to bring instability that's what, one of the ways they controlled territories. Those people groups mingled with the Jews that were left behind and their offspring were Samaritans. All right? So they're half-breeds. You say, well, yeah, I, I could see that and I could see some racial tension. It's greater than that. Because what happens is these two, the Samaritans and then the Jews that return after the Bab- during the Babylonian period, the Samaritans do not like them. They try to prevent them from rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the city walls, right? But eventually, and it's in your notes, in 128, the Jewish high priest will burn the Samaritan temple at Mount Gerizim. That's only about 150 years before what we're looking at here. And that hatred just keeps escalating In fact, in the first Jewish revolt, when Rome comes in the 60s, 70s, and to to, to squelch the Jews, guess what the Samaritans do? They side with the Romans. There are only about 300 Samaritans left today. I've met the high priest. Uh, They're located on Mount Gerizim in that region. Uh, They're an interesting lot. A lot of uh, physical and mental challenges because they've intermarried for so long. and There's so few of them. Um, they're bringing in Russian brides. It's funny. It's interesting dynamics. But um, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. So much so that it spills over into their theology and their, their rules and regulations. In fact, to break bread with a Samaritan was equivalent to eating pork. And even today, you won't find bacon in Israel. Well, there's a few places. I'm figuring it out. But you won't find much bacon. It's uh, It's forbidden. And as I mentioned in your notes, there even accepting a drink from a Samaritan is is wrong. It's interesting. The woman doesn't have too much of an issue over uh, their gender tension, but it's over the ethnic tension, isn't it? Verse nine of John four. So the Samaritan woman said, "How can you a Jew ask me a Samaritan woman? Though she does stress that she's a woman, but you're, you're wanting to drink a vessel from my vessel? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew." that's not allowed. So she understood. And of course, we all know the parable of the good Samaritan, right? It's it's the old Henry. You wouldn't expect it to happen that it's a Samaritan that helps a Jew. And so here you have these three barriers. I had some photos. Here are some Samaritans at the, uh, some of the ceremonies, et cetera. But anyway, um, you wouldn't expect, um, Jesus, who, who, who is there ministering to the Jews and says he's necessary, makes a detour and then breaks all three of these barriers, right? The discussion is clear, as we're going to see. There's a huge misunderstanding, but this lady does know some theology. What, what, what theology does she know? One is the issue we've just talked about, where do you worship? The the Samaritans argued that you worshiped on Mount Gerizim. That's the temple that the high priest destroyed. She believes in the resurrection. What else does she see? A Messiah. The Samaritans only held to the first five books of the Old Testament. But they still believed in a messianic figure, one like Moses, and they called him the Tahid. So she understood there is a, a Messiah coming, a Messiah who's going to know all things and, and, and serve as that judicial judge and that redeemer, so to speak, that's going to come. But where she falls short is she doesn't know her own need, does she? It reminds me of Nicodemus, and we'll get to him in a minute. Um, the discussion is simply on the natural rather than the supernatural. Supernatural. And, and the discussion is missing who is truly the Messiah and what is truly their need, their sin. And that's what we're going to get to as we go through. But questions on this, on the Samaritans or this, these divides, that Jesus is reaching out to her. I mean, any reader would be sitting up taking nourishment. This is huge. Why would Jesus ever do this? What's going on here? Uh, th- that, d- that dissension between Samaritans and Jews is not there today. No. No. They're a non-entity, really. Uh, in fact, I think most Samaritans that I know are Israeli citizens. Yeah. They're kind of... Anyway, that's a whole side note. Well, notice the discussion, <clears throat> as we just talked about. There, typical of John's gospel, there's misunderstandings. With Nicodemus, it was about being born from above, born from... Ab- Uh, or born again. This issue is over the water, isn't it? Water is symbolic of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel. And you certainly see this here. And Jesus tells her in verse 14, the water I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. It's an unusual phrase. It's interesting. I mentioned this top of page two. The Spirit of God, seen as water, is uh, depicted elsewhere in the Old Testament. Turn to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 is a text I want you to see. Ah, Here it is. Isaiah 35. Look at verses 1 through 6. It says, Let the desert and dry region be happy. Let the wilderness rejoice and bloom like a lily. Let it richly bloom. Let it rejoice and shout with delight. It is given the grandeur of Lebanon, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the grandeur of the Lord, the splendor of a God. Strengthen the hands. Steady the knees. Tell those who panic, be strong, do not fear. Look, your God comes to avenge. With divine retribution he comes. Then verse 5, the blind eyes will be opened and deaf ears will hear. We'll see all of this in John's Gospel. The lame will leap like a deer. The mute tongue will shout for joy. The water will flow in the desert. The water was seen associated with the Messianic Age. I I don't think it's a coincidence that the object lesson that Jesus is using with a Samaritan woman is over water. And and by the way, we saw this with the imagery of the wedding, didn't we? In in chapter 3 or 2. Uh, and even in three uh, with John saying, I'm the friend of the groom. I'm not the, I'm the best man. I'm not the groom. And so as you see there in your notes, as I highlight, this water pouring over is a sign of a messianic age, the blessing that comes. And the confusion is she's thinking naturally. He's speaking supernaturally, isn't he? He's referring to the water, the the spirit that comes and, and one that which grants eternal life. It's interesting. I believe she accepts Jesus' offer because in verse 28, look at this, the woman left her water jar. She takes of the supernatural water. I don't need this anymore. <laughs> you say, well, it is. I think you're reading the text. Well, it's an interesting statement, isn't it? She leaves her water uh, uh, jar and off to the town to tell the people, come, see, look at this verse 29, come see a man who told me everything I did. What did she say about the Christ in verse 25? He'll tell you everything. And she said, he did. Surely he can't be the Messiah. Sir, prophetic office, Messiah. And by the way, the way she worded it, it's expecting a negative response. No, it can't be. She's very slick because if she said, I found the Messiah, no one would have believed her. <laughs> well, I listened to her. So she's back in it and said, Well, this can't be him, can it? Just come see. So they left the town and began coming to him. The prophetic office that she sees in this discussion over the, the worship on which mountain changes very quickly. And I think she understands fully what Jesus is saying and who he is. There's a recognition, not only of who he is, but there's a recognition, I would argue, of her own sin, right? That's clear in the text. The God is spirit and truth that is offered in verse 24. God is spirit and the people worship him, most worship in spirit and truth Carson makes a comment in his commentary that's brilliant. There under verse 24, he says, God is spirit means that God is invisible, divine as opposed to human, life-giving, and unknowable to human beings unless he chooses to reveal himself. It is necessary that I go through Samaria. God in his grace and in his sovereignty reaches down and meets this Samaritan woman, this, if I can say it, low life in the eyes of righteous Jews, right. <laughs> What grace. I make a comment in, uh, well, quoting Cornelius Plan- Planica on the last page, a quote from him. He states, to ignore... Uphamize or otherwise mute, the lethal reality of sin is to cut the nerve of the gospel. For the sober truth is that without full disclosure of sin, the gospel of grace becomes impertinent, unnecessary, and finally uninteresting. Jesus cut to the heart of the issue with this Samaritan woman. He said, The issue is you're a sinner and you need a savior. Right? <laughs> it is necessary that he comes through. And that's what we see here in the text. You know, it's interesting. You look at the Samaritan woman and say, yeah, she was a sinner. She needed the Lord. What a pathetic lot she was. But look at this, you know, compare Nicodemus with the Samaritan woman. Because look at the contrast. First, let's do the contrast, right? She's a woman. He's a man. Still with the obvious. Samaritan, a Jew. What else? What's the distinction between the two? Religious leader, devout, knows his theology. She has only the first five books and her theology is a little off, but there is some theology there as well. But there's certainly a difference. What else? Yeah, Paul. Wealthy versus very uh, yeah, very poor, outcast, the in crowd, member of the Sanhedrin, powerful, weak. I mean, I, I was putting through a list here. Uh, There's prior understanding, no recognition. Uh, One comes at night, the other's in the middle of the day. The contrasts are huge. But look at the comparison, right? Both misunderstand who Jesus is. Both misunderstand the message. Both think only on the natural, right? And both, I would argue, fail to see their personal need for a Savior, I, uh, there's no rightful claim. I put this in my notes as I was thinking through, there's no rightful claim by the most respected sinner. There's no rightful claim to the gospel. I don't care how wonderful you are like Nicodemus or how pathetic you are as the Samaritan woman, all are in need of a savior. And it's Christ in both of these scenes. And we're going to see this throughout the Gospel of John. It's Christ who reveals himself, right? If, If Jesus hadn't graciously taken Nicodemus along, Nicodemus would still be confused. Huh? The Samaritan woman, she'd still be confused. Theology's off, understanding of their own depravity is off. God reaches down. The text, verses 31 through 38, you can read this discussion Jesus has about the harvest is plentiful. We need to be busy. I'm sure you've heard it in a missions, a sermon during a missions conference. But verse 39, turn there. It says, "Now many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the report of the woman who testified. He told me everything I did." There it is again. You have five husbands and you're on your sixth, but you're not even married. So when the Samaritans came to him, they began asking him to stay with him. He stayed with them two days, and because of his word, many more believed. Interesting, it was the acts that he did that the Jews believed earlier in 2 and 3. It's the word, it's simply his testimony that they believe. And. They said to the woman, no longer do we believe because of your words, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one really is, watch this, the Savior of the world. <laughs> Not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. It's interesting in chapter 2, look, look at this, I, I was, as I was preparing again for this... This morning, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Chapter 2, verse 25, that sprung into this whole issue with Nicodemus and then into the issue with the Samaritan woman. It says in verse 25, for he, Jesus, knew what was in man. He knew what was in Nicodemus. He knew what was in the Samaritan woman. And you know what's in this flat dab in the center of, of three and four? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes, whether it's Nicodemus, who's got it all together, humanly speaking, or it's a Samaritan woman whose life is in shambles, God restores. That's a great text. This is what I love about it. It's the Savior of the world. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but that it should be saved through Him. Now that should rock your world this morning. right? You don't need coffee now. This is God who reached out, and He said, "It is necessary." Questions or comments on this text? It's loaded. The disciples, we are told, went into town to get food. They they came back, and I would assume they stayed with Jesus at that point? Because then it says, after the two days, he departed from there to Galilee, and it seems they're with him. Yeah, that's a great question. Yes. Is G in all of it. That's right. And that's why it is necessary. And God's will was for the Savior of the world to sit at a little well located in Samaria to engage a woman who needed the, needed the gospel. That's <laughs> just amazing. Yeah, Eric. The same issue would have been the case. A woman was a bit second class, right? But she was very careful. That's why I, she, she asked it in a negative way. Surely I didn't see the Messiah. Surely he's not the one. But it's very intriguing. So she, she's enticed them to go verify it for themselves. And she was careful not to instruct them that this is the Messiah. Three things. Let me give you three things to walk away with as we look at this. Number one, similar to the Samaritan woman. It's so easy. Uh, Careful. Uh, Jesus, it is Jesus who sought us and brought us out of our sin and shame. The gospel makes a change and affects our very being. I just read a biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones by Ian Murray. Wow. It was spectacular. Uh, If you want to, if you love biographies, you want to pick it up. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones was the pastor for thirty some years at uh, Westminster in London, and and some of his final words. uh, He knew he was going to die. He makes this statement. It's on the first uh, page of your notes. When you come to where I am, and here is a man who was used mightily by the Lord. He says, "There's only one thing that matters." That is your relationship to Christ and your knowledge of Him. Nothing else matters. Our best works are tainted. We are sinners saved by grace. We are debtors to mercy alone. I think that's why Paul at one point says he's the worst of the apostles, but by the Second Timothy, he's the worst of sinners. Because he's grown in a greater knowledge of who God is. And as I read this text with the Samaritan woman, it's like, Lord, may we not forget where you've brought us. Ephesians chapter 2, you know the text. Just turn there briefly. By the way, it's also written, the same words, or same church, Christ says to them in Revelation uh, chapter 2, you've lost your first love. You need to go back to where I have brought you because in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds them 30-some years earlier exactly where Christ had brought them. Although you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom, they are the ruler of spirit that is now energizing the son of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We are no different than a Samaritan woman, Right? Oh, yeah, I mean, she had, <laughs> she had her issues, but we are sinners, energized by Satan, fulfilling his desires, actually our desires directed by Satan, right? The gospel makes a change, and it affects our very being. If you've not left the water pot, I challenge you to reflect this morning I'm assuming everyone here knows Jesus as their Savior. If not, I challenge you this morning. This gospel is rich, it's pure, it's glorious, and that leads us to the second point of the notes. It fills the void, giving us true love, hope, peace, and joy. All of them were missing in the life of the Samaritan woman. Right? True love... She didn't know what true love was. Peace? <laughs> really? Hope? I don't think so. Not drawing water at noon. And joy? Absolutely not. And she's even afraid how she addresses the town people. She's a social outcast. Even in her own community, she's not living among Jews, she's living among Samaritans. And she's an outcast. She's an outcast of the outcast. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. And yet, it is necessary. Romans 15 mentions that. And then finally, one more for us this morning. The gospel is never self-contained. You know, one of the true litmus tests, and I think this is why the woman does become a believer. Not only the text says she left her water pot, and we know that she believes because later it says, your word, we've accepted and we believe as well. But I think one of the litmus tests that she truly has saved is she immediately has to share what's happened in her life. Right? She's not going to sit idly by. I got to share this with someone. A truly repentant heart, I mentioned in your notes, never hoards, but overflows with joy. 2 Timothy, turn here Paul's final words to his dear son in the faith. uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at this, verse 8 he says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, a prisoner for the sake, but by God's power, accept your share of suffering for the gospel. He is the one who saved us and called us. That's exactly what he did with the Samaritan woman. It's exactly what he did with Nicodemus, right? Intriguing. We don't even know if Nicodemus accepted the Lord in chapter three. By the end, yes, he's a follower of Christ. He's there taking down the body. Preparing it for burial. <clears throat> but either way, uh, He is the one who saves. It's not based on our works, but on His own purpose and grace. Did you catch that? By the way, saved us is it's heiress, it's finished, it's done. We are His. And this gospel, I was appointed a preacher and apostle because of this. In fact, I suffer. Hold to the standard, verse 13, of sound words that you heard from me and do so with faith and love that are in Christ. The gospel changes lives and it calls us to respond. <clears throat> and I'm looking at a group of men that are on fire. I see Brian working at the prison in Pete, October the 27th, right, guys? Uh, State Penn, sharing Christ. Uh, the list goes on around this room. Keep it up. Keep it up. We need to be ambassadors for Christ and the gospel that transformed our lives, a life that was no different than a Samaritan woman calls for us to share, to be out, to share the good news and, and, and to overflow with joy and hope and peace that it gives. Right? Questions or comments? It's such a great text. Yes, Bob. It's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, what's amazing to me, the Lord will spend two days there. He didn't spend any time with the Pharisees. I wasn't called. What was he called to do? Bring gospel to the sinners, right? Sadly, this group didn't think they needed one this group knew they needed a savior. Yeah. Bob said, what about, it's interesting when she asks for water, he doesn't quite do that yet until he, he deals with her sin. And that's the problem because she doesn't fully understand her need. And the danger with social gospel, there's nothing wrong with giving a cup of water in the Lord's name, but there has to be a recognition of sin. Right. Um, and look at Ephesians 2 and and so yes I think hands down uh, before we can discuss you getting this water you need to come to recognition you need it this is that you are a sinner and then we'll deal with the who and the how so yes I think there's a wonderful paradigm for sharing our faith based on John chapter 4 no doubt Good, good insight Bill (laughs) <laughs> here's the good news you can that's right the dwelling of the holy spirit and seeking wisdom uh, but you're right jesus scolds nicodemus on his theology he says you should know better he doesn't do that with the samaritan woman there's so many things here that you can unpack and compare the two but again what is in the center of it we got a savior for the world right for god soul of the world it's a beautiful scene. And setting us up, chapter 5, the tide's going to turn. The tide's going to turn, and we're going to see that as we move here into uh, continuing our journey through John's gospel. But isn't it a great text? Oh, I love it. I just We could spend all day, but I need to let you go. So let me pray. Father, we just come to you, and we marvel at your grace in our lives as Plantica has warned, we must not come callous to sin. We must not forget where you have brought us, but we also must not um, come desensitized to sin in our lives. For a recognition of where you brought us should make us all the more diligent, diligent in guarding our hearts, our minds, our eyes. Whether it's turning on the internet and looking at things, whether it's talking, what comes out of our mouth, whether that be gossip, whether that be um, a critical spirit, whether it be demeaning, whether it's 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 not loving our wives as you your son loves the church, the list goes on. Not frustrating our children, Lord. It is our desire to be good ambassadors for you. And that means ones that understand and have come to full grasp of what it means that you have saved us from our sin. This Samaritan woman has a clear understanding. And she repents and leaves her water jar. And she embraces this one, your son, whom she fully understands is indeed the Messiah. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. May we be thankful men who love you dearly. Help us to grow even more in our understanding and love of the gospel. And you, the God of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.